0: Jason Rosenblatt joins me on episode 47. A native of Canada but now resident in Israel, Jason is best known for his band Stremel, playing a mixture of klezmer, that's Jewish, and Eastern European music with great use of the harmonica. His first instrument was piano before he went on to pick up the harmonica after hearing Sonny Terry and Paul Butterfield. He then took advantage of the vibrant Montreal blues scene to witness harmonica live. After hearing Howard leave his seminal New Directions in Armonica tutorial video, Jason knew he also wanted to take his own playing down a new path. He proceeded to take lessons with Howard, helping him to expand his sound using the overblow technique. In 2015, Jason released his album Wiseman's Rag, a slightly twisted take on the blues and jazz music that first got him started. Hello, Jason Rosenblatt, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. So I believe you're are you a native of Canada, but you're now living in Israel. That's correct. Uh, I was born in Montreal, lived most of my life there, and I moved to Israel
1: uh, roughly 10 months ago.
0: I think you're Jewish and you play klezmer music, yeah.
1: That's true. Yes, I I am Jewish, and I and I do play a lot of uh, Jewish music in addition to other forms of music. But uh, I, I guess I, m- my professional career began playing Jewish music. It's probably the first style that I was associated with.
0: So so back onto your you know your raising in Canada and, and the music scene and what got you into playing the harmonica. I think you started playing the piano first.
1: I started playing the piano. I think was about eight or nine, and I had the. Pretty standard after-school piano lessons with the teacher for you know roughly ten years. We started with I would say you know classical, uh, and and then my, my teacher a very wise man, he, he realized I wasn't really progressing too far with classical music, so he gave me some pop music, a lot of Beatles, Rolling Stones, Dylan. So he saw the music that I was interested in playing and really uh, uh, allowed me to explore music other than classical music. The harmonica came about a little later. My parents were very much into uh, American folk music, 50s, 60s, 70s. And my parents were, uh, my dad's a doctor and my mom's a music teacher and they were in uh, bands and they had tons of guitars lying around the house and, and a lot of harmonicas lying around the house. And my dad would you know play Sonny Terry uh, chugging on the harmonica and I, I happened to find one lying around and I just picked up when I was about 15 or 16 years old. They encouraged me. They gave me a bunch of Sonny Terry uh, and Brownie McKee records and Paul Butterfield Records to play along with.
0: It's incredible the amount of people on here who say that Sonny Terry is sort of one of their first inspirations, it, and even Paul Butterfield's mentioned a lot as well. So, are there any particular uh, songs that you recall from Sonny Terry or, or Paul Butterfield? or anyone else that you know really turned you onto the harmonica?
1: For at least for Sonny Terry, it was like it was a lot about licks and chugging patterns. that I recall the most. With regards to Paul Butterfield, I would say his first album, I would listen to over and over again. So songs like Born in Chicago and Blues with a Feeling and Shake Your Money Maker, I, I listen to over and over and over again. And I still go back to that music as a resource to A, to listen to, to enjoy, and, and B, to listen to as a, as a kind of a, an inspiration for playing in a particular style and, and that Chicago blues style.
0: So again, you started on piano, and then you went into the harmonica a bit later. What sort of age were you when you started playing the harmonica?
1: I was about 16 years old when I picked up the harmonica, 15, 16. And I just I, I didn't put it down. Basically, I I love the fact that it was portable. I love the fact that I could bend notes on it. I remember as a fifteen sixteen year old, I would go down to various clubs. I was underage, so I you know uh, here's an underage kid with braces going down to blues clubs in downtown Montreal, listening to local harmonica heroes like Jim Zeller, who I'm sure many of your listeners don't know who he is, but he's a phenomenal blues harmonica player. And I would just listen to him and then, and then you know, minus 20 outside, I would go during the set breaks into the alley near the a particular club called Le Beaux Esprit and just practice and try to copy what he, I heard during his set.
0: So there was quite a good blues scene in Montreal, was there?
1: Great blue scene, and it's an interesting scene because, at least in those in those days, I would say in the uh, early to mid '80s, mid '80s, those musicians that played on the blue scene, Jimmy, uh, one guy, guitar player by the name of Jimmy James, and Jim Zeller and Carl Carl Tremblay, harmonica players, they didn't really tour much outside Quebec. They would either play in Quebec or play in France. You know, they were uh, francophone artists, so they they were probably not very well known to anglophone artists, they had rather anglophone audiences in the states or the rest of Canada. But they're quite well known from in Quebec and, and then across the Atlantic in, in France.
0: This days, then you were playing mostly blues harmonica and on the piano. Were, were you sort of edging towards blues side as well, or were you uh, quite varied on the piano?
1: In terms of piano, my my big piano heroes were like Professor Longhair and Dr. John. And I've spent uh, the better part of uh, 35 years still trying to emulate those guys. Professor Longhair, James Booker, Dr. John are like my three New Orleans piano heroes. And of course, all the great jazz pianists. Uh, I love Bill Evans, uh, Red Garland, those uh, players like uh, Hardbot players.
0: And, and you had lessons with Howard Levy,
1: yeah? Uh, I believe my first lesson with Howard was in 2000, 2001. I discovered his music probably ninety five. I'm not sure if your audience is familiar with. I believe it's called New Directions for Harmonica, which is it was a VHS tape that Howard came out with. It was uh, issued, I think, uh, or produced by Homespun Homespun Tapes or Homespun Records. It blew my mind. Uh, I early on, I would say, when I first got it, I just kept on playing it, just to listen to it and enjoy it. I never really tried to copy what he was doing. I understood that he was trying, or he was playing chromatically on the standard diatonic harmonica. But I, I, I guess, I just I was in school and I didn't put enough effort into musical studies to really take full advantage of it in when i first got the record around 2000 i started to actually really put effort into the harmonica and really try to view the instrument as a as a as an instrument capable of playing in all 12 keys and that's when i went back to that resource and then went back to the 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 man himself to howard to uh to ask him for lessons uh uh, how do i improve my technique on the uh, standard 10 hole uh, diatonic harmonica
0: Yeah. So yeah, I've had Howard on the podcast and we did talk about that uh, video that he released back then. So yeah, I've uh, I've seen it myself. So did you have face-to-face lessons with Howard?
1: Uh, my first lesson actually was uh, he was in Montreal giving um, a master class with a great guitarist by the name of uh, Greg Amiro, and they they did a, I think they did a, a recording together. And while uh, Howard was in town, they decided to do like a, a master class. So I took a, a, a private lesson with him, and then I I decided to apply for a Canada Council grant to go stay with him in Chicago. So I had another month uh, with him in about I, I would say we're talking I think two thousand and three roughly. I had a month with him, and then subsequently. Over the years, I've met with him in 2008, 2012, and then, fortunately, or unfortunately, I don't know how, I, we I had another opportunity to study with him in 2020. But of course, it was online. I, I wasn't able to travel to Chicago to go study with him face to face. But nevertheless, uh, I, I managed to put in about uh, to have about 12 hours of lessons with him
0: on, on Zoom. Obviously, we all know Howard is this this huge brain of harmonica knowledge, and uh, you know, doing things that we'd never dream of in the harmonica, and obviously playing it chromatically and using overblows being being a big part of how he's able to do that so you know what's he like as a teacher and uh, you know how did you learn from him
1: so just to give you an idea um, about how much knowledge he's 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 transferring over to his students I still go back to those lessons of 2004 I, I there's still so much to learn from those early lessons that I took with him I have you know probably about 15 to 20 hours recorded from 2004 another 15 to 20 hours of lessons recorded from 2008 I still go back to those all those lessons because the lessons weren't just about about how to play 12 tones on a a diatonic harmonica. We covered playing different keys, covered vibrato, we covered just elements that had nothing to do with the harmonica specifically but just musicianship, playing in odd time signatures, reharmonization of tunes. It was uh, almost uh, 10 years of of, of musical instruction, a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD course crammed into like 30 hours of lessons or 40 hours of lessons. I'm constantly going back to those lessons um, for. inspiration and instruction. If I ever feel like I'm not progressing, I just go back to those lessons. It's called music. Why don't you
2: come on in?
0: So great. So obviously howard also plays piano as you do so you know what comparisons do you make there obviously you know we're playing chromatically and playing over blows is you know between playing the piano and playing the harmonic and how those two fit together in the way that you both learn
1: so one of the things that howard mentioned early on uh, was to visualize when you're playing harmonica you can't really see what's going on you don't really know what's going on see what's going on in your mouth per se and it doesn't really help To say, okay, I'm on hole two, I'm blowing, I'm on hole three, I'm inhaling, I'm bending. One, one thing that he taught me earlier on is just to try to visualize a piano keyboard. Instead of, instead of focusing on, I'm blowing here, I'm inhaling here, I'm bending here, I'm overblowing here. And that's really helped me. When I'm playing, I am, I'm, I'm doing one of two things. I'm either visualizing a piano keyboard in my head or I'm, I'm visualizing notes on a staff. And, and I think that that visualization has helped to free me up quite a lot on the harmonica. The other thing that I did early on, you know, I started off as a blues player and what I guess what people call a feel player. I, I, logically, I knew that if you had a C harmonica and you blew out on hole number one on the C diatonic harmonica, you would come out with a C and, and the, same, the same thing. If you had a B flat diatonic harmonica, if you blew out on hole number one, you would have a B flat, but the rest of the harmonica more or less was a bit of a, a mystery. I just kind of used my ear and, and, and a bit of trial. And And it wasn't until about you know my first few lessons with Howard that I realized you know if I was going to progress I would have to sit down at the piano and and plunk out a note. really try to map out the instrument basically using using the piano as a tool to for pitch to make sure i was playing in tune and also to uh, to help me visualize where where the notes are on the harmonica so that being able to play the piano has helped me immensely on playing um the harmonica
0: yeah and and, and you know you're a, you're a very good piano player yeah? you, you've recorded much of your albums you, you play the piano on it don't you and you do some albums where you play the piano and don't play harmonica as well yeah so you're a, you're you know you're a very good piano player yeah
1: i i, I got say a uh, reasonable, reasonable piano player. Reasonable in terms of, I, I can get around.
0: <laughs> okay. So you consider the harmonica as your main instrument?
1: Uh, at different points in my life, I would say that I, one has taken precedence over the over the other. As a musician, I I work in different scenarios. Sometimes I'm called upon, a lot of my work is playing weddings or playing, conducting choirs. So when I'm conducting a choir, I play the piano and, and the, the choir could care less if I played harmonica I basically just use them as a as a built-in audience you know I invite them to my shows but they want to be conducted and they want to hear me accompany them on piano and the same thing at weddings I I love playing harmonica for ceremonies because it it kind of takes the place of the violin but during the during the course of the evening let's say I'll only play it during you know background music but the rest of the evening I'm I'm, I'm called upon to play uh you know electric piano sounds uh b3 sounds on keyboards so uh, there's times when I'm playing more harmonica and I, and times where I'm, I'm called upon to play more
0: keyboards yeah do you ever play the two at the same time
1: yes uh, it's a that was actually the focus of my last few lessons with Howard um, you know I'm really focusing on trying to split my brain apart to (laughs) to be able to play believable harmonica and believable piano at the same time
0: you're just playing the piano
1: one-handed there yeah so (laughs) just just rolling rolling chords
0: yeah no it sounds great i mean so i guess you're playing on the harmonica what would you be playing in your right hand yeah
1: yeah. Sometimes I, I shift them around and I play, if, if I'm playing faster, melodies, then I'll play, I'll play right hand and I'll hold the harmonic with my left.
0: Are you playing, do you think what you would be playing literally on the piano, on the harmonica when, when you are doing both together?
1: So, so with, when I'm playing with the left hand, like I'm, I was trying to play a, so there I'm accompanying myself playing like a I'm just like kind of playing stride. But if I'm playing like a solo, I'm trying to basically play exactly um, what I'm playing in the right hand on the harmonica.
0: So you mentioned there about when you're practicing with the piano, it's something that you use to hit the right pitch on the overblow. So as a, if, if people who, who play overblows or try to play overblows uh, or listen to people playing overblows, I think there's um there can be a problem with them that they don't always hit the right pitch, you know, right. spot on, or they don't always sound great. So that's something you have really worked on with the piano to really really nail the right uh, tones, is it?
1: First of all, I know there, uh, there's always these wonderful debates online about should we be playing overblows? Why do you play overblows? Why don't you just grab a chromatic? Why don't you play in a more traditional style without overblows? Overblow is just another way of getting a note. And if it's possible to get that note and make it sound pleasant, why not add it into into your arsenal? You know, there's plenty of players that bend notes and don't hit the bends in tune. And even players have hit uh, just a straight-on blow or a straight-on inhale and, and don't hit those notes in tune. So it starts everything has to be relatively perfectly in tune as possible so i do use the piano as a reference point i do use a tuner every now and then just to make sure i'm playing um playing as, as in tune as possible i would say that a lot of my effort is concentrated really if, when i'm focusing on tuning issues as on third hole uh, draw bend making sure i'm playing let's say on a c harmonica the a rather the b flat the a the a flat and then looking at the overblows making sure the hole number 6 on a c harmonica for instance the B flat, uh, hole number five, the G flat, and the E flats on hole number four, that they're, that they're in, in tune. And a lot of it is really making sure that the air support is coming from the right place, that it's not a pinched kind of really forced attack on the note, but really, um, something that's gentle and light. I, I try to explain, I don't know if this is going to come up for your listeners, <laughs> I'm playing super light. If I put a feather in front of my mouth, I don't think you can even see it move. I'm, I'm sure there's you know people that like to criticize overblowers that could say, oh, "Well, I heard the overblow." I I, I would say nine people out of town can't tell where I was overblowing the sound at least to my ear is pretty even throughout the course of those notes
0: yeah and I think you know the overblows have come on from the early days as well haven't they and, and obviously Howard's been a big part of uh you know of innovating that sound and I mean to get those incredibly fast runs that you can get playing overblows on a diatonic and the fluidity you get out of a diatonic and I, I do also play chromatic and you know I just don't think maybe it's me but you know I don't think you can get that sort of fluidity out of chromatic that you can out of a diatonic so assemble all over kids appear play any chromatic yourself
1: i actually started as one of those uh, pandemic related uh (laughs) crises (laughs) i would say led me to picking up a chromatic harmonica you know as i mentioned i moved to israel there's tons of great harmonica players here but very few of them are um diatonic players there's a lot of chromatic players so i said uh, out of necessity I'm going to just force myself to learn how to play chromatic harmonica, even though I've been avoiding it for years and years. I love the sound of the instrument, but I I guess I figured I was practicing diatonic and practicing piano. I I didn't think I could take on another instrument, but just out of necessity, I picked up the the chromatic and, you know, staying one step ahead of my students.
0: So how have you found that transition? Have you been able to, you think, you know, kind of easily pick it up, given your knowledge of the piano and the diatonic?
1: So it's like playing a new instrument, although it's not entirely new. It's like a familiar, but it's going to take me a few years to get to a level that I'm say, comfortable to play this out of the home. It's going to require some effort, but I love it. I love the sound. There's something that's so nice and pure about it.
0: Yeah, and what about the maybe the similarities between playing Overblow, Diatonic and the Chromatic? I
1: think it's strangely enough... I find that the ability to play overblows and even bend on the on the diatonic just confuses
2: though
1: when I play chromatic, i I had to force myself the first few weeks don't go into a bending embouchure. don't don't try to inhale too hard like. It forced me actually to be a little more gentle. But on the other hand, the one thing that it gave me right away, which apparently I didn't know this, but apparently chromatic players struggle with for sometimes for years is getting a nice deep vibrato. I was able to achieve a nice vibrato, like a nice resonant slow vibrato almost instantaneously because I had that experience on the diatonic harmonica. I, I wasn't, it wasn't one of those sh- like very fast uh, warbly type of vibratos that you sometimes hear on the
0: on the chromatic. I'm sure we'll look forward to you playing some chromatic as well. So so yeah. So you moved to Israel. What's the music scene like there? And uh, you know, you'd be able to quickly get involved in the music scene there.
1: I, I would say uh, I got involved relatively quickly in Canada. While I played jazz a, a fair amount and blues a fair amount, I was mostly known for my band called Strimel, which was a uh, basically played in a, in a, a mix of original. Jewish and, say, Turkish-style music, a lot of odd-time signatures and modes, uh, musical modes from the Middle East. And all of a sudden, I'm coming to Israel and there's a lot of bands that essentially do that style already, but what they didn't have and they were looking for at various uh, venues uh, whether it be hotels or or nightclubs whatever there's a lack of people that sing standards in English properly I, they, I mean so so I, I kind of in the past year most of my gigs have been jazz and blues gigs and playing gospel music and New Orleans style music and we we're very fortunate at the time that we came there was lot there were lockdowns but really about a month or so after that we came there they were already opening up because of course the, the club climate here was a lot warmer. They were, they were opening up street gigs, gigs where the o- audience would sit outside in cafes while the, the band would play from the, the entranceway of, a, of various clubs. So we were starting to work. When I say we, I'm talking about my, my wife also who plays trombone. We were starting to work relatively uh,
0: soon after we arrived. So, so yeah, you say your, your wife uh, plays trombone. She's in the band. Uh, yes, exactly. She's a, she is in the band Strymel. Uh, the
1: band uh, was founded, I believe, 2001, something like that. And we, we had relative success playing around festivals in Canada. We actually made it to the UK a few times, played in Germany, played at a Krakow uh, Jewish culture festival, played you know, throughout the States. You know, for niche audiences, people that were interested in the style of music that we played that uh, that were interested. I, I guess you call it the generic term for it would be world music, but it, it was something more, a little more specific than that. It was, uh, I, I guess you call it neo-Judeo-Turkish music.
0: One thing I like to do on the podcast, is, you know, get different style of music, different style of harmonica on, on the podcast and to discover that. And, you know, it was a real joy discovering the music of, uh, of this band because it just sounds so joyous.
1: A lot of it is joyous. Uh, the last two albums starts off pretty melancholy, then, then builds up towards, towards some joy. Maybe that had something to do with the fact that a lot of the songs were written in the winter. Uh, and Montreal winters, uh, I'm sure as you are aware, are not the most, they can be uh, not so pleasant. So maybe that uh, had an effect on the music. But yeah, the, the idea is that it's klezmer music. There's a celebratory aspect to it. It, it was traditionally played uh, for life cycle events, uh, mostly weddings, weddings and holidays. People were encouraged to, to dance to this music this was not performance music initially but it was dance music
0: as you say, yeah, there's certainly some slow songs on there as well, which sound great. So just talking through some of these albums. So the first one, I think 2004, Spicy Paprikash. Spicy Paprikash
1: was actually the second album. We had a first album called Harmonica Galiziana, where basically I took really classic klezmer tunes uh, and essentially replaced the violin and or clarinet with, with harmonica. So I the, the instrumentation was rather traditional. It was uh, drums, accordion, upright bass, and harmonica. The second album got a little bit more adventurous, and that was called "Spicy Paprikash," where we added a little bit of Romanian music, added a little bit of electric piano, cymbalum, some Hammond B three, got a little bit a little funkier.
0: The second album, Spicy Paprikash. There's some again some great songs on there. A lot of fast playing on there. Some amazing fast playing. I really love the song Galizia Tanz. Is it? Ga-
1: yeah, Galizianer Tanz.
0: That's a dance. Is the dance
1: exactly? Yes. And Galizia is, is an area. It's an area. I guess you say it's so- southern Poland.
0: the uncle Tibor's spicy paprikash which uh, again is great and that one really speeds up and again you get that real dance feel about it real joyous music
1: that was actually written for my uncle whose uh, Hungarian name is Tibor
0: So uh, yeah, so that was a great album. Plenty of harmonica on there. So, as well as playing, you know, the piano and harmonica, you're also the sort of producer of the of the band as well, aren't you? And are you composing actually some of the songs? And.
1: I, I, if you look at the, the evolution of that particular group, uh, we start off with, uh, with a lot of traditional music and I'm arranging a lot of the music. And then as you get to the more later on, the, the album from 2014 called Eastern Hora and then the latest one called Harame and I'm the composer of, I, I believe, every single tune on the last two albums, maybe save for one or two. So it went from, again, playing traditional music with a little bit of changes in terms of the arrangement to being playing all original music. I I always like to say that, at least over the last few years where most of the music has been original that we you know we still try to pay respect to the to klezmer music traditional music of the past while giving music like our own our own flavor the people that i play with they're people that that respect and that learned and studied traditional klezmer music and just take some of those elements whether it be the ornamentation uh, some of the nuances the slides this and that um, the rhythmic feels they take it from Stuff they they've learned from old recordings and then uh, apply it to this these new compositions.
0: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that Eastern Horror album there, which are a few songs to pick out there. So we got this Grand Theft Stutent Key. Yeah, what about that song?
1: We, we had traveled to Bulgaria uh, to perform. We play, performed actually for the Jewish community there and then for a summer camp. I don't believe it was a Jewish summer camp. It was just a regular summer camp. And, and a Stutinki is a, is a penny, uh, like a, a cent, a Bulgarian cent. And I called it Grand Theft Stutinki mostly because I was in, I was so influenced by the on that trip by the music that I had heard. I ripped off, <laughs> uh, so to speak, some of the the feel and, and the uh, you know the rhythms of, of of the music that I that I was hearing uh, when I was there.
0: And there's a song called uh, "A Saturday Evening Blues," which you might expect is a traditional kind of blues sound from the harmonica, but of course it isn't.
1: It's again it has a bit of that Turkish element and the only thing that really makes it a blues it's not really a, it's not really 12 bars I don't recall but it's three sections and I think what makes it a blues to me is that you have you have that first section which is almost like your one chord you have that section second section which is like your five chord uh, four chord rather and then you come back to this like resolving section which is almost like your five four one five and
0: to me that reminded me of a blues and uh, there's Waltz azoy
1: I, did, I don't know if I necessarily intended to do it but it's one of my favorite pieces I tend to write things that are quite naughty with no rest and and this piece for whatever reason came out pretty minimalist and uh, it's 16 bars and it's what and it's got that that flat five there. That sticks out as quite more jazzy, I would say, than, than anything. I think the musicians that I play with, they tend to like this tune best out of anything I give them, uh, which is kind of surprising because it, it's, it's, it may be, uh, like I said, 16 bars. There's not much
0: to it. Well, sometimes the simple is best, eh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Your most recent album is the the horror Meron, as you mentioned with the, with the band there. Certainly, the the CDN. It's quite a jazzy song, isn't it? So there's more uh, there's more of a jazz sound on this one.
1: Yes, exa- exactly. Uh, the in- lineup, I, I wanted to, for that particular song, I wanted it to be pretty sparse. And the idea behind that particular song was, uh, it's named after a neighborhood called Cote de Neige, uh, again in Montreal, and it ha- has an interesting mix of, of ethnicities in that neighborhood. On the one hand, you have Hasidic Jewish people, on the other hand, you have Muslims that uh, recent Im- recently immigrated from you know various Arabic countries. And there is a, there is a harmony in that neighborhood. And, and I wanted to write a song that reflected that, that harmony. So successfully or unsuccessfully, I tried to mix in some Jewish feel and some Arabic feel and at the same time have it be what I consider to be like a kind of con- semi-contemporary jazz sound to it as well.
0: And and there's another song on there which is Shirou.
1: I was trying to go for, especially in the solo section, yeah, for kind of that open kind of modal jazz sound. Uh, that mm-hmm. you know your listeners probably be familiar with, like uh, the era of like music of John Coltrane.
0: Yeah, and uh, you did an album Mismore, didn't you? Which is, which I think is you playing piano with with an alto saxophone player.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't. I didn't play any harmonica on that album. In our live shows, we did play. I did play quite a bit of harmonica just to add some variety to the to the show. But but for that, this was, I think, the only album I've ever done that I haven't played any harmonica on.
0: So you've gotten, you know, with the with the Schmetall band, you get getting lots of different Eastern European sounds in there, which sound great. Are you, you know, your approach to Playing the Maharanic, are you playing particular scales in there which fit that style of music?
1: First of all, it's it's there are particular scales. That's basically like a Phrygian sharp three. That, that's a mode that, that comes up a lot in, uh, in both klezmer and Arabic and Turkish music. There's another mode that I use which was more of a minor mode. That's uh, basically the same the same scale but starting at a uh, full step below. So that's called that's Dorian sharp chord. That's regular Dorian. That has that sharp four in there
0: yeah it sounds great it sounds so exotic don't it those well i remember some scale practice in the past just a slight the side there's a scale which was the i would call the spanish scale or the jewish scale i don't know if you're familiar with what that scale is or um
1: right so they were, people also call this i'll play it in, an, in another mode i'll play i'll play uh, sorry rather i'll play the same mode but in a different key they're always playing an e on a c diatonic harmonica
2: i'll
1: play it in g People called it Spanish Phrygian.
0: Yeah, and a great and a great sound. So yeah, so if people uh, listening want to, you know, get that exotic sound, check out some of the scales you mentioned there, and uh, yeah, get away from playing the uh, the usual um, Mixolydian scale that, uh, that they might be used to playing on the diatonic. So, and then uh, in 2015, you released an album called Wiseman's Rag, which was under your own name that the jason rosenblatt quartet so this is more of a kind of blues rootsy jazzy album isn't it we, so yeah you wanted to get more of a blues sound on this one did you
1: that's right it was more more almost for marketing purposes i was getting pigeonholed as the klezmer harmonica player and and i i certainly love and i grew up with blues and jazz and folk music and i always performed it but i never had any recordings to, to show for it I didn't want to record just a strict, straight-ahead Chicago blues album, so I kind of looked at some New Orleans music, music of Alan Toussaint, let's say, or Dr. John, as I mentioned before, both great influences, and I looked at ragtime music, so I tried to incorporate a little bit of blues, a little ragtime, a little bit of the avant-garde as well. You know, I, I call it like a little bit of a twisted take on on roots and blues. I love the music of Bill Frizzell. So the guitar player that I play with uh, by the name of Joe Grass, who's an amazing guitar player and pedal steel player and a mandolin player, he got what I was going for. I didn't want something that was very strict Chicago blues. I wanted someone that was going to be uh, able to improvise and play creatively, play within the form, but play in a way that wasn't strictly uh, what people view blues sh- should be.
0: Yeah, and I think there's the Sea Heart Blues song, which is a good very good example of that. It's quite a jazzy lines, isn't it? And you get some nice crunchy harmonica tone in there. I think it's something that was inspired by Howard Levy, wasn't it?
1: It's funny that you mentioned that it was uh, it was inspired by um, Uh, an exercise Howard Levy gave me that how to play, uh, you know, roughs or or call it like sweeping, sweeping on the guitar. You can also sweep on the harmonica. It it was inspired by, by his lessons. I actually, before I released it, I had to actually go to him and say, Howard, did I rip off this song from you? And he told me, no, no, no.
0: Yeah, great. I'm sure. I'm sure he's on it. You sing as well, yeah. And you you sing quite a few songs on this on this album,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. I
2: sing. Uh,
1: yeah, I would say uh, half the songs are vocal. Are vocal songs you know, I grew up singing uh, in choirs and I grew up singing in, you know, in in pop bands. uh, And I, again, I had nothing to show for it uh, on on a, uh, you know, an original recorded level. So I had to, I wanted to put out something with some vocals on it, on it. Uh, The project was thankfully successful. uh, You know, we got to tour a bit in Canada and, you know, people were, were interested in in that. And I still use that album. Uh, People are still interested and still people are downloading it on Bandcamp, and, I'm, I'm i'm quite happy with that and i think maybe it's time for a, a, a new one five years post
0: yeah no no it's great I say quite a a good take on, on, on some blues and, and more jazzy edges as well. and uh, But there's still that klezmer edge on some of the songs. So there's lots of variety on the album as well, which is great. Yeah, And picked up some songs you're playing with a band called Jump Babylon.
1: Yeah, so Jump Babylon was my project. Again, I, it was like a rock pop project uh, that I did with a friend of mine, uh, Adam Stotland. I think we released that in 2012, t- 2013. And that was really um, an effort to write well-crafted, at least I thought at the time, well-crafted pop songs with horn sections and multiple guitar takes. There was a lot of effort that went into arranging that album. But one of my favorite harmonica solos that I've ever laid down is on the song called Canada. that are looking for a harmonic album it's not necessarily a harmonic album but if if you're patient enough uh, i think to get into like probably the two and a half minute mark of the song it's a pretty in-your-face harmonica solo
0: I thought your solo sounded a, a bit John Popper esque. Uh, on that, was that something you think you were influenced by? Or?
1: I definitely was influenced by John Popper early on. I, I played with another band. I, I have some recordings of myself playing along with uh, what's it called? The what was the first album uh, with flute? I think it was maybe just being called Blues Traveler. I used to play along with that album like crazy. I, used, I remember just we had no air conditioning in our in one of my first apartments, and I remember just sitting there for like three hours playing like a mental case and 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 just drenched in sweat you know coming out of the apartment but i would play along with it hours and hours and hours playing like uh, you know like those those lines i yeah. I, I don't really remember them 100 percent, but like a lot of those fast and pattern type of lines
0: yeah no great Yeah, I noticed that yeah so that's, that's a good, like you say that's a very good album like you say quite conventional pop songs isn't it and it comes across really well and good use of harmonica on the on the songs that it's on as well the Soldier Woman album yeah
1: that, that was the, the goal was to write well crafted pop songs For mostly the the rationale behind it is I, had, I love writing music and, and I just compiled these songs and I in the shame we, we would perform them actually with this side project Jump Babylon and people come out to the shows and they say when are you going to record an album with these songs and, and eventually Eventually we just said, you know, fine. And we, and we, we did it, we recorded it, We released it.
0: So as you, you know, you're writing the music and do you write harmonica solos or do you always improvise them?
1: Mo- on the last album that I did, Harmony Run, it was all improvised. Of course, the, the, uh, the melodies, the heads are all written. Yeah. Wiseman's Rag, except for the one solo on Fairmount Blues, which I wrote out, it was all improvised. Uh, I would say 95% are improvised solos. Of course, I practice them. And what I practice sometimes comes out in the recorded version, but they're not really written out. The only time I'll really write something out is if I have to really be conscious that I have a really short amount of time to lay down a solo and I want to make sure that I'm going to, come in where I want to and leave exactly where I want to and not leave any room for error. So then I'll write out everything. And then what I'll do is I might not necessarily play note for note in the studio. I might improvise a little bit around the, the written solo, but at least I have a, a, a good framework. Nowadays with home studios, you know, you can lay down a million takes and it doesn't cost you anything extra except for your time. But when you're, when you're going to a studio, like we did with the, some, of, with all the earlier albums and you know, you're paying whatever it is, X amount dollars per hour you want to make sure that you work you work efficiently in the studio
0: great so uh, moving on from your recordings then you've done um, various other things and uh, you've had some of your music featured on on television a documentary called kosher love and um, is it a film called last of the wild jews or documentary
1: yes so uh, last of the wild jews was a documentary about a famous uh, montreal author novelist uh mordechai richler and Kosher Love was a, an interesting documentary uh, about finding uh, love in the Orthodox Jewish world. I wrote some, I don't think there's, a, there might be a, some harmonic in there, but mostly uh, it was brass band music that I composed for that.
0: Sure, yeah. And you released an album of brass band music, didn't you? Brass Fabulous. <laughs> that, that's correct, yes. Yeah. You've also got a book out of your instrumental music called uh, A Mother's Pain.
1: That's right. My um, moms not too happy with that title, but I, you know, when when a child tells their parents, you know what I I did uh, an undergrad in economics. I did a master's of, of business administration. I worked, you know, for a few years in high tech. And in the end, despite all their efforts to make sure they stay on stay on the straight and narrow path, and you just tell and you tell them, you know what? Despite all that, I'm going to become a musician, and that's what I want to do. And there's nothing else I can see myself doing. The parents aren't popping the champagne, and you know the answer. And and this is not just me; but it's lot. Lot of my friends that chose this career path uh you sure you want to do that this with your life you know that that's usually the um, reaction but my parents are i think they're very accepting because of their influence that i chose this uh this path
0: your mother music teacher yeah
1: exactly uh, she she was my choir my choir director growing up for for many years uh, my father was the one who gave me all all the my early influences uh, uh musically in terms of uh you know old jazz uh Danny Goodman, uh, even klesmer music, Dave Tarris wonderful clarinet player and blues player, Sunny Terry and Brown McGee, and and like I mentioned, Paul Butterfield. So uh, they only have themselves to blame.
0: Exactly. And you're you've been involved with with music festivals quite a while. In 2010, you you helped organize the the, the Montreal Jewish Music Festival.
1: That's correct. I, maybe maybe Montreal's not the only city that calls itself this, but they call themselves a festival city. And there was we have an amazing jazz festival, amazing uh, a festival called Louis de Afrique, which is a uh, African Music and Culture Festival. There's the Franco Folie, which is a, a, a um, music and dance and culture festival from uh, various uh, French-speaking nations. There's so many different wonderful festivals. And we were missing a Jewish music festival, I felt. And, and I took it myself, in collaboration with a wonderful um, uh, festival, more of a teaching festival uh, called Ples Canada to collaborate and make um, a festival of concerts bringing in different uh, musical acts from the, around the world but also giving support to local artists music that um, artists musicians that played not just standard what we call standard klezmer music but people that, that played something on the cutting edge artists by the name of so-called Josh Dolgan, who mixed uh, hip-hop with cantorial music we had a band called, called Nekouda which was played like music from Provence from France Jewish music ancient Jewish music it's something that most people would not necessarily have known about this ancient provincial Jewish music you know from France Uh, and the idea was to introduce this as a as challenge people's preconceptions or misconceptions of Jewish music.
0: Uh, On later this year in November I believe you're helping organize a Jerusalem harmonica festival.
1: Yes, I'm so excited about this. I mean, I'm, I'm a new immigrant to this country and already my first year I'm helping <laughs> to spearhead
0: the first Jerusalem
1: Harmonica Festival. There's some amazing players in Israel. I, I wasn't allowed, I didn't have the budget and also because of COVID, it didn't make sense to start hiring people from outside of Israel at, at this point because we didn't know if they're going to be able to come in at all. So there was no mm-hmm. sense in putting in the effort. But we didn't have to even leave the country to find world-class players. We have Ronnie Eitan, who's an amazing chromatic, Harmonic harmonica player. We have Michal Adler. We have Dove Hammer, who is a wonderful, like real classic Chicago blues harmonica player, who, by virtue of being such an amazing musician as and blues player and being one of the few in Israel that plays such an authentic blues, has played with every visiting blues artist you can imagine. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah, so people can come along to that. So I think it's on the 10th and 11th of November, is it? Exactly. You, you've been to the sport festival in the U.S.?
1: I've been twice as a, as a participant, once as a, as a featured performer, and once also as, as a teacher. I, I taught a, a masterclass on how to get into playing in different modes. In other words, what are the first steps when you say, okay, here's my diatonic harmonica, I want to play chromatically. Well, there's, there are steps that you can take, and Howard kind of covers this in his new directions for harmonica VHS. I, I think I further simplify it. It's it basically getting out of your comfort zone, making yourself a little uncomfortable, trying to play an A minor on a C harmonica, trying to to play in G minor on a C harmonica try and play an F major on a C harmonica and what are some simple tunes that you can play in these different keys and some simple exercises you can play in these different keys that kind of start to open up those possibilities for the average player we're not talking about not everyone has to become a, a virtuoso there's no but there's no reason why a player that can bend can't play in D minor on a C harmonica or F or E minor on a C harmonica
0: yeah exactly and that's great words there to encourage people to try exactly that just trying playing a fourth position for example and and then just playing in some minor tuning on the the diatonic really gives you a different sound doesn't it and opens up the harmonica gets you away from playing the same old kind of second position licks
1: it, that's exactly it and I think uh, harmonica I would say more so than the piano because the natural inclination is is your breathing you're from the time we were born we breathe in we breathe out we breathe in we breathe out that's not the way a harmonica works sometimes you have four ins and one out and then there's a bend and then there's a, so you have to be able to break those natural habits and that's the hardest thing about playing in different positions and, and playing chromatically is to basically break out of those those habits that we we that we get when we only only treat the harmonica as a, you know one key instrument
0: so teachings you know it's important to you You mentioned there that you've given various workshops and, and lessons so you've been teaching i think for 15 years or so haven't you so uh, it's still something that you're you're actively doing and you, you're offering face-to-face teaching now and online teaching
1: so I, of course, because of COVID, most of my teaching has been moved online, but I do have some some students here in Israel that we're now working face-to-face. I have a broad range, uh, everything from beginner children to professionals, people that, that have been playing at a, on a professional level for years and want to, again, break out of those habits and want to explore different ways of playing blues, let's say blues or bluegrass or country, something that's typical for our a harmonica player to play a style that's pretty typical, but to not play it in second position. They want to learn how to play things in call it first flat position or to play things third position. major. You know, uh, for instance, like blues, you know, to play in D major on a C harmonica.
0: So, so leading on from this, so a question asked ask each time is uh, if you had 10 minutes to practice, what would you spend those 10 minutes doing?
1: If I only had 10 minutes, let's say, to warm up before a show, let's say, the first thing I would do, I I just play through the chromatic scale. I would just play through the chromatic scale, use a a tuner or or a um, piano as reference. Uh, And next would be arpeggios. i'm trying to go through all all 12 keys and just making sure that i'm kind of in tune for the purposes of this podcast i'm rushing through it i would try not to rush i would try to play each note as clearly as possible finally the last thing i would do would be what i call long tones focusing on a particular bend that can sometimes get a little out, out of tune so for instance i would focus on an f i would play without vibrato Then with vibrato, add vibrato, take away the vibrato, then play the F sharp. add vibrato take away vibrato and just try to hold the note as long as I can 30 seconds a minute and play it with a tuner so I can see if the arrow is sticking you know perfect center I'm I like playing it flat sharp whatever the case is and and this way I can I can really try to gain control over over those particular notes
0: So we'll get on to the last section now we will talk through some gear First of all your harmonicas of choice I believe you you play sidles
1: I'm a sidle player I mostly play sidles because of the, the longevity of the instrument, I have one particular sidle I've been playing for I, I think thirteen years. I've had to tune tune it uh, every now and then, but it's basically the same instrument I started with. You know, you have to clean it. You have to, <laughs> otherwise, it's pretty unsanitary. But you clean it. I still have it. That's not to say I don't keep on buying uh, sidles. I have an addiction to buying instruments. I keep on buying new new uh, new sidles as they come out, but I essentially buying a uh, Seidel so, uh, 1847 silvers, nobles. I have one lightning, I have the classic, but my, I would say most of the Seidels I play are nobles. I do gap them. I do emboss them uh, to make them easier to overblow. I do have Joe Spire's uh, harmonicas, which are, in my opinion, uh, are the top of the line, cream of the crop, so to speak. Uh, I haven't gotten him to customize any of my sidles. I just haven't gotten around to it. So I, so the, the Spire's harmonicas that I have are essentially marine bands, reed plates with special 20 covers, I believe. The action on them are just absolutely perfect. Perfect instruments. Okay. I have some James Gordons that are phenomenal as well. I have some sidles that have been customised Customized by a wonderful customizer that doesn't do it for the public anymore. His name is Antoine Hamel out of Montreal, which basically he customized a bunch of, uh, like I said, the Seidels for me. And it just goes to show you that Seidels can play just as smoothly as some of the customized honors that Spires, uh, Joe Spires does.
0: So when you're playing, obviously you're playing overblows, you, you're you always playing rich tuned harmonicas, are you? That's that's correct, yes. Yeah, so have you considered, you know, there's quite a lot of different tunings on these days. Different- Days. and for example talking to Tony Ares a few episodes ago and he's got this major cross And so have you ever considered you know trying different tunings or is it a case of you know you know where you are with the Richter tuning having practiced it for years and, and, and you stick to it for that reason or
1: that, that's a great question I, I feel like I, I started with the Richter tuning harmonic, tuned harmonica and I'm just going to I'm just gonna stick with it I put so much effort into it if I'm going to learn what I consider to be a new instrument it's going to be the chromatic and, and any extra effort I'm putting into learning you know or to, to practicing on a new harmonica. It's going to be on the chromatic.
0: So you just play Richter tunes. That you don't play any different tuning diatonics at all. That's correct. What about embouchure? What embouchure do you use?
1: So primarily, i um, using Parker method. Uh, the only time I'll ever use tongue blocking is to get off, is to get uh, intervals, or or if I'm doing like um like a tongue slot You know, that's the only time I'll ever use uh tongue blocking. I find that the that the pucker method it makes more sense, at least for me, for overblowing.
0: Yeah, I think the septic wisdom is that overblowers right. generally pucker, don't they and, and don't tongue block. Amplification wise, what do you like to use in you know, applications of microphones?
1: Depends on the the project that I'm playing with. I would say more often than not, I'm playing just through an SM58. Through um, I play a Sansamp Power Driver DI mostly because I like to have control over my EQ. A lot of soundmen they feel that the harmonica has to be shrill. That's how they envision what the harmonica is. And I like to take away some of the, the high end, boost a little of the low end, make a, I guess, use a create a creamier sound. They usually add a little drive, which adds a little bit of compression also. I'll play through, I'll have a reverb pedal. Sometimes if I want to emulate um, an accordion, I'll, I'll use um, called the micropog, which is an octave up, octave down, along with a chorus pedal. Uh, I usually use the MXR stereo chorus. That's usually in my pedal chain. If I want a, a dirtier sound, again, I'll just use the SM58 because I don't like totally dirty. I like to have a little bit of the natural sound. So I use it again in SM58. I have a wonderful amp called the Supro 16T, which is, I believe, from 1962. Tube amplifier, 5-watt amp, and it sounds amazing. I, I don't have to fiddle around with anything. It, it's plug and play, and you get a, a beautiful Chicago round, Chicago blues sound. It's not over the top, though. It's
0: creamy without too much crunch. And you're using your SM58 into that, are you?
1: Yeah. like anytime I'll, I have a Green Bullet, um, an old one. It sounds great, but it, for me, it's, it's a little too honky. If you understand what I'm, what I'm getting at, yeah. I like a little bit yeah. more of a natural sound. Uh, and then, of course, the other amplifier, uh, rather microphone, I use for um, a lot of times for recording, but also for live in a very acoustic environment would, would be the Sennheiser MD four four one. Which, of course, Howard discovered uh, it sounds great with harmonica because essentially it does what uh, you would want the soundman to do with EQ. It cuts out a lot of the real shrill high frequencies of the harmonica uh, just naturally. There's a there's a switch on it which allows you to, to cut off those those really shrill frequencies.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I've been since talking to Howard, I've been keeping my eye on that MD four four one. But yeah, they're quite expensive those microphones, are they? I haven't quite it, managed to commit myself to spending that much money on one
1: yet. Right. I, I found I don't know how much mine I think mine was about it was about seven hundred dollars. I bought it used uh many, many years ago. I don't think it's come down in price. I think it's just gone up.
0: <laughs> yeah. But they last, do not they because they? 'Cause they're they're tough dynamic microphones. So yeah, I think you could probably can buy second hand ones, can't you? And they they will uh they'll be good. I yeah. When you're playing with the SM fifty eight, are you do you hold the mic to cup it or do you play off the mic i
1: cup it i I do and i Mm -hmm. feel that if you have like a you know a nice little reverb pedal that will give it the space that you need otherwise again it sounds really muffly so i like to i like to add a little reverb again to make it a little more open sounding
0: what about a volume control?
1: No, so I don't have one. But that that reminds me, I've been I'm watching
0: people. I, once it blows
1: me away, productions. I need to get myself one of those microphones, <laughs> the ones with the volume controls built on. I've been thinking about it for for years, and I, I just procrastinated on it. But you're right; that would be a great and addition.
0: And what about recording the harmonica? Do you use any particular setup for that? Any particular microphones?
1: So, so again, recording, like for instance, the Wiseman Rag album was all through the Supro 16T um uh, that gave me enough crunch the the song Canada uh, uh, I actually went through a blues junior and a ibanez tube screamer like maxed out so you mentioned it sounded a lot like like john popper and that was what i was going for i i just like i put the amp in another room far away from me with the doors closed so it wouldn't feedback otherwise for sure would feedback Uh, but i was going for like the the most overdriven sound i could possibly get
0: so you but you're generally playing through the setup you play live with so you know the sm58 and and the amp you're not using kind of studio microphones to to record yourself
1: no the the only i did use a wonderful full, I believe it's Telefunken ribbon mic, an old ribbon mic on some of the Wiseman's rags where I'm not playing through the amp, or what they did was they did a blend of the two. It kind of give you gave you a little bit of the the high end with the, a bit of the Chicago honk through the amplifier.
0: Final question then, Jason. Thanks so much for your time today. Um, what have you been doing uh, over the pandemic, and um, you know what future plans do you have? Are you getting out there, getting some gigs. Obviously, you've got this festival coming up, and um, yeah. So what what's going on with you?
1: I'm just looking for, for touring to open up and, and you know, we moved to Israel and it's closer to Europe, you know, whereas there were opportunities to play in Montreal and Ottawa and Toronto. Here's the, you know, you get on a plane and in three hours you have, you know, you have France and Germany and four hours you have the UK. A lot of my friends that, that work as uh, as musicians here, they, they use that proximity to Europe as an opportunity to play for an entirely different market. Israel is a very small country and there's only so much touring you can do within the country itself so I'm hoping I'm hoping uh, things open up that we can start travelling a little bit
0: yeah superb yeah no be great to see you playing across in Europe and yet say so you have that advantage in Europe that you know you've got lots of countries close together so yeah uh, that's that's a great thing and hopefully get to get you back over to the UK again and uh, see you play I'd lo- love to <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today Jason Rosenblatt
1: thank you my, my pleasure
0: that's episode 47 in the can thanks again for listening Great to hear Jason and really innovative use of the harmonica. Check out his music, some wonderful stuff there. We're just over to let Jason play us out with his Wiseman's Rag.